Thank you very much, Holly and Irene. Let's pray together. Father, we are very thankful that you are holy. We're thankful that in Christ we're going to be presented to you one day holy and blameless. We confess that in our daily living, we do not always live holy. We struggle, we have ups and downs, and we know as we look at Scripture this morning, we find that Israel went through that same struggle. But yet in Christ, we have the resources we need to live in a deep sensitivity to you. Minister to us as we consider your word. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. I want you to think about your favorite food. What's one of your favorite foods? I'd like a couple of responses. Your favorite food. Rich. Pizza. Pizza. Hamburger. Hamburger. Spaghetti and meatballs. Kelsey. Hoagies. Bill. Chicken. Chicken. I want you to think about your favorite food. For the next 38 years, you're going to have your favorite food for breakfast, lunch, and supper. Every week, every month for the next 38 years. Do you think you might complain by the end of the 38 years? Just think about that, you know. Year after year, you have... Fried hoagie. I don't know what that looks like. And then you have a boiled hoagie and then you have just a regular hoagie or you have fried pizza or, you know, just baked pizza or, you know, whatever. You know, think about it. 38 years, 39 years. Probably become old pretty quick. Let's read together First Corinthians chapter 10. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. And he is encouraging them to run the race to get the prize. And he ends up chapter 9 with that exhortation. And in chapter 10, 1 through 13, he's giving some examples of those who did not run to get the prize. And then in chapter 10, 14 through 17, he again is saying, here's how to get the prize, free or flee from idols. And keep in mind, he is writing to a body of believers What one does influences the other. We don't live as islands. He's also talking about a bigger picture because he appeals to Israel, Israel in the past, but the Corinthians living in the present, at the time he is writing in the church age. He wants them to learn from history. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under this cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things, as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. 
As it is written, the people sit down to eat and drink and get up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is coming to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. As Paul writes here, he doesn't want the people to whom he is be writing to be ignorant in verse 1. I don't want you to be ignorant. In verse 6, he says these things occurred as, an exa- as examples. Israel following Moses through the sea, following Moses as the cloud led them. But yet, their bodies were scattered over the desert. These are examples. In verse 11, he says these things happened as examples. Yet he encourages them to live in light of examples in history. It's much wiser to learn from someone else's example than it is to think you have to learn by experience. Do not repeat the mistakes of your forefathers, the sins of your forefathers. We know that the children of Israel were a called people. They were with Moses. They ate the spiritual food, drank the spiritual drink, but yet their bodies were scattered over the desert. In verse 7, we discussed last week, do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to drink and get up to indulge in pagan revelry. Again, an example. Let that make a mark upon you as believers in Corinth. Let that make a mark upon us. Then he says in verse 8, we should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 died. What would happen if the news tomorrow morning, the headlines were 23,000 died in America? Why? Sexual immorality. That would make the headlines. Let's take our Bibles and turn back to Numbers chapter 25. Numbers chapter 25. The children of Israel had been in Egypt. They left Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea on dry land. They saw the Egyptian army drown. God gave them water. God gave them manna. And when we get to Numbers 25, we find they're getting close to entering into the promised land. Beginning with verse 1 of Numbers 25. When Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women who invited them to the sacrifices to their gods. The people ate and bowed down before these gods. So Israel joined in worshiping the Baal Peor, and the Lord's anger burned against them. The Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of these people 
kill them and expose them in broad daylight before the Lord so that the Lord's fierce anger may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to Israel's judges, each of you must put to death those of your men who have joined in worshiping Baal Peor. Then an Israelite man brought to his family a Midianite woman right before the eyes of Moses and the whole assembly of Israel while they were weeping at the entrance to the tent of meeting. When Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest saw this, he left the assembly, took the spear in his hand and followed the Israelite into the tent. He drove the spear through both of them, through the Israelite and into the woman's body. Then the plague against Israel was stopped. But those who died in the plague numbered 24,000. I'm not going to discuss discuss this morning the 24,000 verses of 23 in 1 Corinthians. But pick up on the fact that God has been working in the nation of Israel. And the temptation here was the worship of Baal. The people ate and bowed down before these gods. So Israel joined in worshiping the Baal pure, and the Lord's anger burned against them. There's a temptation. False worship. And in the context of false worship, notice what happens. The men began to indulge in sexual immorality. As you read the Old Testament and look cultures in the past, many times worship of their gods involved sexual immorality. And that is what is happening in this context. So there was a desire, but the desire conceived to give birth to sin. So the men bowed down before Moab's gods. And as I just mentioned, sexual immorality came into play. We're dealing with a context of worship which involved sexual immorality. Remember last week, that when Israel was getting ready to go into the promised land and they refused to go, I'm sorry, not going into the promised land, but uh, when they were receiving the Ten Commandments, the idol worship there again involved worship. The first murder in Genesis chapter 4 took place in the context of worship. Here we have worship involving sexual immorality. So what does Moses do? Moses says, the Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of these people, kill them, and expose them in broad daylight before the Lord so that the Lord's fierce anger may turn away from Israel. So what you would have, you'd have a leader of one of the tribes or part of the tribe. They were responsible for killing those that were involved in this false worship and sexual immorality. You know, you kind of take care of your own family. That's what the Lord told Moses to do. And in verse 6, an Israelite man brought his, to his family a Midianite woman right before the eyes of Moses and the whole assembly while they were weeping at the entrance to the tent of meeting. 
And what research I could, did on that, while they're weeping at the tent of meeting, what is taking place? They believe that this man would have brought this Midianite woman and apparently had a tent, and it would have been near the tabernacle and the presence of other people to commit sexual immorality. So what happens? We find that Phineas, you know, he took his spear and followed the Israelite into the temple and he drove the spear through both of them, through the Israelite and into the woman's body. And then the plague stopped. There was judgment. The Israelite man and the woman, Midianite woman, were judged Mentioned in 6 through 9 and verses 14 and 15, their names are given. And the plague involved 24,000. Paul says to the Corinthians, this is an example from history. Learn from it. I think the primary application in light of 1 Corinthians is for the church, the body of Christ in Corinth, I think us today, for church leadership. A couple applications as we think about our culture today, Christian culture today. Divorce due to immorality. How much divorce takes place due to sexual immorality within, quote-unquote, the body of Christ. How about media being used for sexual immorality? So very easy today, you know, with a little click, it's available. Ties in with pornography in the body of Christ. And from statistics I read, a very, very great problem or just sexual relationships outside of marriage. Applications to the body of Christ. There's some secondary applications, maybe. Don't get upset at me on this one. How about romance novels that create a discontent on the part of the wife, particularly in the part of the wife for her husband and wants someone else? How about just media that is viewed by professing believers that involves the hint of sexual immorality. Paul is saying to the church in Corinth, learn from Israel's history. He goes on. Verse 9, we should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes. Let's go to Numbers chapter 21. Numbers chapter 21. Again, the children of Israel have left Egypt. They're in the desert. God has fed them with manna. Numbers 21 and verse 4. They, Israel, traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. 
they spoke against God and against Moses and said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There's no bread. There's no water. And we detest this miserable food. And the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, we have sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will make the snake or take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. So your favorite food after year three of having the same food day in and day out. Hey, can I have something else? No, this pizza. It's the same kind all the time. I can't change the variety. It's the same thing all the time. You know, the hoagie, just the same hoagie over and over again. Same chicken, made the same way over and over again. It's where Israel is. The temptation was impatient with the Lord's provision. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom, but the people grew impatient. I think we all know what impatience is. If you want to experience someone being impatient at you, when you go uptown, you come to a red light and it turns green. Just sit there. And then they hump the horn, sit there a little longer. Don't do it. They might come out or get out and, you know, you might have some road rage. But impatience. The other day I was shopping with Ruth Ann, since she's not driving yet, and She saw which line I picked, you know, to check out. She said, why did you pick that? (laughs) She already could read my mind. I didn't want to wait any longer than I had to. I can appreciate impatience with food. Ruth Ann and I were, at a point in time in college, very poor. And they get up in chapel one day and said, there's a company that is providing these spreadable meats. They want to give them free, but they don't want to insult you totally, so they'll sell them for a penny a can. So there's 25 cans in a case for a quarter. It's a good deal. So I said, Ruth Ann, I'm going to go over. They told us where to go to get them. And I got nine cases. I think three was tuna, three was ham, and three was turkey, chicken. To this day, I can taste it when I think about it. (laughs) And she would bake it, and we would put it in sandwiches. And to be honest with you, I got impatient. Lord, I'm tired of this. Israel, 38 plus years with manna. Mom, what's for breakfast? Manna. Mom, what's for supper? Manna. How about next year, Mom? Manna. How about the year after that? Manna. Impatient. 
So what happened? It gave birth to sin, not birth to a son. It gave birth to sin. And what was a sin? They spoke against God, and they spoke against Moses, both Moses and God. They became discontent with the Lord's provision. Can you hear them? Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There's no bread. There's no water. And we detest this miserable chicken or pizza or hoagie or whatever it may be. And the Lord sent venomous snakes. There was judgment. And what was the solution? The bronze snake. That gave a victory. Look at the snake. And that reminds us of John chapter 3. We think about Christ and his crucifixion on the cross. John 3 says, just as the serpent was lifted up in the desert, so Christ was lifted up. But Israel again complained. But there was a solution, a bronze snake. Now think about some applications. Do we live to eat and drink rather than eat and drink to live? You say, what's the difference? Do we live to eat and drink rather than eat and drink to live? There's a marked difference. Satisfaction, contentment, and escape through eating and drinking. That may be a temptation, you know, just eat. Again, an application. I find it interesting how many Christian, how much Christian focus is on diet fads. I'm not saying they're right or wrong. I'm just saying it's interesting. You know, so many diets, you know, there's a Daniel diet, and there's a book written about that, and then there's another diet and another diet. Again, I'm not saying right or wrong, just how focused we can become on food and eating and say, you can't eat this, but you can eat this. And if you want to lose weight, you eat this. If you want to be healthy, you eat that. And again, focus on food. How about discontent with just water and basic foods? Nothing wrong with tea or coffee or soda or anything else, but we can become discontent pretty easily. Anything else around here to drink rather than just water? Water again? Can we have anything else other than potatoes? No, just we can become discontent. Demanding foods and drinks have to have, you know, our mind is on, have to have them and our mind is on them. You know, we can demand certain foods and we just think about food. What did you think about this morning? What I'm going for lunch? What did you think about this afternoon? What I'm going for supper? I'm not saying all of us do that, but, you know, our mind can be consumed with that. How about just complaining about food and drink? How many 
of our thoughts and our words in a given day may center on food and drink. And maybe in a negative way. You want to think about food and drink. Try fasting from certain foods and drinks and see how often you think about them when you're fasting. How much they control you and how much you're prone to grumble and complain. So take your favorite chicken and do without it for a month. Take a hoagie and do without it for a month. You know, whatever it may be. I have found, and I rarely talk about the fact that when I fast, or I don't tell people when I fast, I find how much food can really control me. It's not that food is evil. <laughs> we have to eat. But we may grumble and complain more than we realize. Israel didn't have the cucumbers and the garlic and the melons and so on that are mentioned a number of times when they grumbled and complained. They had just manna. I have found that when I have fasted from certain foods... I tend to think a lot about them. And that tells me that they probably have a greater grip on me than I realize. And I'm probably no different than Israel. (laughs) They're a whine and complain if I don't have that. Remember, Israel complaining about food is an example that we should learn from. Back in 1 Corinthians 10, and verse 11, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us in whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. Corinthians, Ronnie Brook, learn from Israel's examples, sexual immorality. Their food, demanding food. Let them have an impression upon you. Let them influence how you live. Because they were given for warnings. And then in verse 12, he says, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. I'm doing well. Sexually, I'm doing well in terms of food. But be careful that you don't fall. Then the encouragement that many people quote, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. We may be tempted sexually today. We may be tempted to moan and complain about food. Israel has been through that. They've been tempted. You won't be tempted beyond what you can bear. God enabled Israel, provided the resources for Israel to be victorious, but they did not apply it. But God will provide a way out, and that comes out very strong in chapter 12 of Second Corinthians. But when you're tempted, he will provide a way out 
so that you can stand up under it. So that you can be victorious in the long run. Share a true, true story without giving any names of a man that I would have interacted with and dealt with and had some good times spiritually together. And there's a couple times in his life where I noticed some things and I would have made a comment to him, you need to be careful because you're becoming discontent with your wife. And he made the statement to me one time, he says, it would be much better for me to divorce and get a woman I like than to remain in an unhappy marriage. And I again gave him a word of warning. He chose not to or to accept the warning. He chose not to respond to a couple of examples that I shared. He chose to destroy his marriage. He chose to destroy another person's marriage and chose to influence a number of people very, very deeply. <coughs> Claiming to be a believer, and I'm not saying whether he is or isn't, but the point was he did not respond to the examples. He was like a piece of hard wood. And you can take this piece of hard wood and you can hit it and it barely leaves a mark. Or we can be like a piece of cardboard. And we hit that and it leaves a little more marked than the hard wood. Or it can be like some pretzels. And we barely tap them. And there's a big mark there. My question for you and for me, as we consider the examples of Israel's history, they're to leave a mark. Are you and I, are we as a church, more like the wood that is hard, the cardboard that is a little more soft, or like the pretzels that just fall to pieces when they're struck? Are we responding to the examples in history so that when we are tempted, we're sensitive to the Lord and yielded to the Lord? And as a congregation, in light of where we are and what we're going through, are we learning from and living in light of the examples of people in history that have been falsely accused and gone through difficulty as a result, but remain in love with God? Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We want to be sensitive to you, yielded to you. We don't want to be like the hard piece of wood that you can hit it hard and there's hardly a dent. They're like the cardboard. There's more of a dent. We would sooner be like the pretzels. Don't have to be struck very hard and they break. As we look at historic 
historical examples. May we be sensitive that when we are tempted, there is a way out and you will make a way for us to bear up under it. Whether it be in our own individual lives, in our lives as a family, or we as a church. We know, Father, we can be sensitive to you. We can move to greater and greater victory because of Christ, as we read in Romans chapter 7 earlier. And as we will find as we look at Christ and what he did on the cross and the resurrection next Sunday. We love you. We want to be faithful to you. We want to be surrendered to you. For your glory, it's in Christ's name I pray, amen.